right. Good morning, everyone. So there is a tradition in the church on Easter Sunday when the uh, person up front says to the audience, he is risen, and then you respond, he is risen indeed. Okay? So why don't you stand with me? We're going to start over. He is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the joy that we have on this day uh, to remember the most amazing and life-changing event in human history. And that is Jesus overcame the grave. Lord, we thank you that you did not need a tomb. You borrowed a tomb. And you, in that tomb, conquered death by the power of your spirit. And that truth gives me hope today that I can stand in front of this assembly today knowing that any circumstance that seems unchangeable, that seems insurmountable, that you, by your power, can change it. So we today, Lord, want to sing with a heart that is full of hope that the resurrection of Christ means something for us today. It means hope, it means forgiveness, it means freedom, that it is all possible, not through our effort, but through the work of Christ. So Lord, open our hearts to what you have to say to us today. I know, Lord, we are not here by mistake. This is your plan. Work through us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship.
my mind. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still. That's not the end of the story. No oh, praise. No oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Then on the third.
seated. Isn't that wonderful? And you know what? It's all true. And that's what gives us great joy. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise the Lord. I just want to share two quick stories with you, and then I'm going to pray. That's in many ways captured the fact that the resurrection covers everybody. First story, a fellow I had met at the University of Penn back in around 2000. He was a visiting professor there. His name is Yaroslav Pelikan. And if you know the name, if you're in academics, he's one of the foremost church historians taught at Yale for decades. Um, but he was a believer in the resurrection, which is kind of amazing at the University of Penn in itself, but nonetheless. But he had this statement that has really grabbed me. It says this. If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. If Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. Think about that. Profound, he died at the age of 83 of cancer, and he could take the truth of the resurrection with him into the world to come. On the other end of the spectrum, this just happened about two weeks ago, my wife teaches in a preschool uh, with a group of four-year-olds. And the teacher had decided to tell the story of Jesus and came up. And one week, at the end of the week, she told the story of the crucifixion to the three- and four-year-olds. Purposely not telling them about the resurrection. Stopping the story there. And Sherry said when, when she got done telling the story of the crucifixion, this little four-year-old just put her head into her hands and started weeping. And she said, you know, she was, if Jesus is dead, then he's not with me and can't protect me. And Sherry said she just wanted to tell the girl the end of the story. But, you know, that she wanted to respect the teacher, so she didn't do it. The next Tuesday they came back, so this girl had to go through the whole weekend. Came back the next Tuesday and the teacher finished the story of the resurrection. And the girl said, Jesus is alive. He is with me and he can protect me. Do you know what? The truth of the resurrection can take a four-year-old and an 83-year-old and give them hope. Which means he can do it for you too. Because it's true. Reminds me of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Where he says, if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. But Christ is risen. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice on this day with the wonder of the resurrection. Lord, it's not myth. It's not something we fabricate and make up. It is reality. It is truth. It has changed the world. Father, my prayer is that it will change each of our lives this day so that we can say with the Apostle Paul, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. a king seated among us let every heart receive him now where there is praise he will inhabit there will be grace and mercy all around Every burden will be lifted in His presence. Every trophy will be laid down at His feet. There is a name that reigns above all 
Christ, the King above all kings. On His Lamb, honor and glory. Worthy is he who overcame, buried in shame, for risen in power. He is alive, and the stone is rolled away. All our worship will belong to him forever. Death is conquered, and our Savior holds the key. There is a name that reigns above all others. Jesus Christ, the King above all kings. great song great songs uh, if children you could be dismissed for junior church and as pastor tim said earlier he is risen okay can you give me a little bit more on that <laughs> leave it up to elizabeth uh, he is risen glory hallelujah glory hallelujah glory hallelujah he is risen he is risen indeed. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13? Hebrews chapter 13, and we are going to be looking at a benediction. Benedictions usually end a service. We're going to begin a message with a benediction this morning. I was thinking about this, that uh, we come to a service today and billions of people around this world are coming to similar services today to celebrate an event that took place 2,000 years ago. Man, that's incredible. This grand drama that began even before Genesis, before this world was ever created, this grand drama that God had ordained and planned out 
is now seen and it's acted out. Billions of people sit in churches today seemingly celebrating an event, one event, a cross and an empty tomb. And the reality is, though, there are a variety of people that sit in those churches this morning. There, there are some that sit in churches today that are more cynical, skeptical, really not sure. That they heard some of the things about a savior and they heard some of the things about a Christ who came here, a God who took on human flesh. And they say, I don't know if I truly believe that. Maybe you're here or maybe you know of people that come to churches like that because they have family or friends and they say, we invite you to the service and, and you come. Somewhat cynical. We, we welcome you. We're glad you are here. There are some of us that sit here that are confused. You know, you are a person who trusts in God, but you're somewhat confused. You're not actually sure of what the resurrection means and what's the purpose of it. And does it really have any significant impact in my life? You know, I talk to Christians who will say that they trust in the cross, but they don't really understand how the empty tomb matters to them. Maybe that's you. So maybe you're a cynic and you're not sure, skeptical. Maybe you're confused, not sure how the resurrection impacts your life. Or, or maybe you're one who is really confident or committed to Christ. I want you to think of this confident and committed person who, who truly believes that the second person in the Trinity came here 2,000 years ago and took on human flesh. As they took on human flesh, as God, the uh, Son, took on human flesh, he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life. He walked every day from the womb all the way to the cross and then the tomb, perfect and righteous. And that we believe that when he went to the cross, he went there as a substitution, a sacrifice, That it wasn't his sin because he had no sin. He was sinless. He went there to bear the wrath of God for the sins of all of us. And they believe that he died on a cross. And when he died on a cross, he canceled a debt for everyone who would trust in him. And they believe that that death was of such value, of such worth, that it was had the potential to save anybody anywhere. That is somebody who struggled, who's there with commitment and confidence. But then when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he gave his life voluntarily, and he says, I can bring it back to life. And three days later, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit participated in raising him from the dead. So I don't know if you are a cynic this morning. I don't know if you are confused this morning. I don't know if you're the committed one this morning, but I pray that we would walk out of here confident. Confident in this, that if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you have every hope that there's hope in the resurrection. Can I change one word? Since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there is every hope in life. Look to me here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. It says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that he may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? So the Lord this morning, I pray that you would help us to be committed to your son. I pray this morning that you would help us to be confident in your resurrection. Father, there are some here that don't trust you. They're skeptical of your son, skeptical of the word. I pray that today we may be able to hear them say, I see with new eyes. My heart has been warmed to God. I've gone from a cynic to a believer. And for those that are confused here, Lord, today, uh, maybe confused because of pains from their past, maybe confused from things in their childhood, maybe they're confused because religious leaders that have taken advantage of them and hurt them. Lord, maybe they're confused because they just don't know how this resurrection can apply to their lives. I pray that you would speak comforting words 
because you're the God of all comfort. We praise you. And Lord, no matter what the person is, I pray today we would see Christ and glory in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning I I would like to uh, look at this passage from five little angles. Not long. Um, I want to start with the, the character of peace. Second, I want to talk about the confirmation of peace. Third, I want to talk about the cost of peace. Fourth, I want to talk about the consequences of peace. And then finally, I want to talk about confidence of peace. So let's start with the character of peace. Look here, and what the writer to the Hebrews does, Hebrews is a wonderful book. Maybe that's one of the books we should preach through one of these. Yeah, I would love to do that. Um, Now, may the God of peace, he begins by talking about the very character of God. He begins by talking about this God who is one. One God, three persons, no rivalry, no jealousy, no separation, no disharmony, no disunity, oneness. That the Son willingly submits to the Father, willingly does so. And that the Holy Spirit willingly submits to the Son. That the Holy Spirit seeks to bring people to the Son and the Son seeks to bring people to the Father. There is a perfect unity and harmony and a peace in the Godhead. He's a God of peace. It's just his natural character. But more than that, or in addition to that, he's a God who makes peace. He desires to share peace. He says, now may the God of peace. It's not only his character, but it's his conduct. He, he wants to grant peace to, to those that are broken. And, and the reality is this. When you think of the word peace, you must admit, admit that we are living in a broken world. You know, since the fall in, in Genesis chapter 3, what we have is all of the pain, all of the discord, all of the disharmony, all of the disunity, all of the disruption, all of the derailment, all of the disorder, all of the disfigurement, any word you can think of, the brokenness that we have in this world is because there's a lack of peace. All the hostility. I preached last week on a passage where we talked about wars and rumors of wars, international conflict. We talked about nation rising against nation. We talked about families fighting one another. And Pastor Doug will be getting on that passage even more next week, Lord willing. Families are in hostility. There's fights between families. There's spousal fights. There's sibling fights. We have the political parties that are fighting one another today. There are wars. There's brokenness in heart. But then there's a lack of peace, not only relationally. There's so many people today that maybe even are sitting here listening to me that have a brokenness internally. That there's a disorder internally. That I feel broken, I feel unloved, I feel unforgiven, I feel out of fellowship, I just don't feel connected. Maybe that's you. There was a war in heaven where Satan influenced a number of angels to fall away from God and to rebel against him. And that war in heaven has now come down to earth and all of the rupture, all of the struggles that we have this side of heaven is because of that. I want you to think about this. When God created this world, he created this world with such beauty. He just spoke this world into existence. And every day he says, it was good. Genesis 1 and 2, it was good. It was good. It was good. And then he created man and he says, it's not good. What wasn't good? It wasn't good that a man be alone. We need We need relationships. So what God does is he, he brought a man and a woman together and he brought them together in harmony and peace. And there was a oneness. They were naked and not ashamed. And when God created humanity, he created humanity dependent, dependent upon counsel and that we will be molded and shaped and changed by the counsel that we listen to. What a story. It starts with the end of the story, paradise here. But then paradise was lost. It said that God created us dependent, dependent upon counsel, and we'd be molded and shaped by the counsel that we listened to. A new counselor came in in Genesis chapter 3. Someone who got them to doubt the very word of God, doubt the character of God, and doubt the authority of God. And they heard something, they started to believe something, and they went out in that belief, disbelief of God. 
And all of the doubt and all of the discord and all of the problems are a byproduct of that. I want you to think of there was a war. Maybe you're at war right now. Maybe you're at war with another person. There's a brokenness that is there. Maybe you're at war with nature and it feels you have some disease or some struggle. And it's like, I'm at war with nature. I'm at war with others. Or maybe I'm even at war with myself. All the fat fractures, all the disharmony, all the brokenness, all the abuses. I, it, I can't even turn on the news today where you see the abuses of people against people. Where we devalue people. We take advantage of people. We hurt and harm people. We impact the environment. We impact creatures. We impact other people. We lack unity. The violence that is just so apparent in our culture. Violent after violence. And God says, I am a God of peace. And I come to give you peace. I want you to know the character of God. Second, I want you to know what God did for us. The confirmation of peace. It says here, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus did was before this world was ever created, he contracted with his father to come here to die for people that would trust in him. He came here to live the life you could never live. He came to die in your place. And the confirmation of that, the signing of that contract is an empty tomb. That God the Father says, I am bringing my son from the dead because my son cannot stay in the grave. I don't mean to demean any other person with their religion. I truly believe that Christianity is the only hope for life. There are millions of people, billions of people in this world today that are trusting in their own religion. But their religious leaders are dead. Every religion of people that worship gods today, those gods, quote unquote, are dead. Christianity is the only religion, the only faith where the God of that religion came here, took on human flesh, died and rose again and lives forever. That is hope. So I want you to think about this con- the confirmation. He says, I brought him back from the dead. But the third thing I want you to think about is not just the character of God and the fact that he's a God of peace and that there's war that's happening. And the confirmation, which we'll come back to here in a moment, is that he brought him back from the dead. I want you to think about the cost of peace. What it says is that he brought him back from the dead. The great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Something or someone had to die so that you may live. See, that's the whole grand drama of the Bible. If you can understand the drama of the Bible, it's a story of one who has been offended and one who is the offender. And there's a separation, an alienation between these two. Now, in all the other religions in the world, this God and you, this separated one, need to do work to get to that God. Not in Christianity. That God who has been offended and you as the offender, he came down for you. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve fell and Adam and Eve ran away from God and rejected his word. And what God did was he pursued them. He came after them. He says, Adam, where are you? God didn't need to know where Adam was. He knew exactly where he was. He was trying to get Adam to confess and to come to him. See, I want you to know that there's a cost In the garden, if you read Genesis chapter 3, what God does is he says, because of your sin, you're going to be alienated, removed from this garden. But what I'm going to do is this. I am promising you, through a woman, a seed is going to come. That seed, Satan is going to try to strike at. But what that seed is going to do, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to crush Satan's head. Right in Genesis chapter 3, we have the beauty of the gospel message. We also see a clear 
representation of the gospel. God took an animal. I don't know what it was. I believe it was probably a lamb or a sheep. Took its hide. Killed it. The first death, I believe, in this world. Took its hide and covered their nakedness. And what he was symbolizing is this. This one, this animal that is going to die is covering your nakedness temporarily. Because it is looking forward to a greater lamb, a greater sacrifice, who will cover your nakedness permanently. That's why the writer could say it's the blood of the eternal covenant. But I want you to think about the cost. We have a holy God. He's not just a God who's creator, but he is a holy God. He is great and he is good. You know, when the Bible talks about holiness, it's about this otherness or apartness. And what it means is that God is transcendent in his majesty. He is superior to all. He is different from all of us in glory. He is radically different than you or me. And what he does is this. Because of his holiness, he deserves honor. He deserves worship. He deserves adoration. He deserves your submission. The chairs that you were sitting on this morning are holy chairs because they've been set apart for the glory of God. You are to be holy people because you've been set apart, if you trust in Christ, for the glory of God. So God, the transcendent one, and us are supposed to represent his glory. We don't become God. Don't misunderstand that. What we do is we reflect the glory of God. We display the glory of God into this world, but there's a gap that happens between us. The beauty of God and the vileness of us. We don't show him as we should. God is a part and he's other, but God is also pure and righteous. He has an internal character of righteousness and then he displays everything he does is out of righteousness. Humanity... Every one of us are fallen, broken, broken in reflection of him, shattered images. And what God wants us to do is to reflect him in in this world. But God is not only holy, God is good. God is such a wonderful and good God. James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights And this God who never changes, this God who is immutable, this God who is altogether good and consistent in his goodness, pours goodness upon you when you don't deserve it. He is a holy God. And he calls us to reflect his goodness into this world. He calls us to to be the ultimate standard of goodness. And he, he says he is the ultimate standard of goodness. We are called to be the reflectors of the source of goodness in this life. It creates a problem. As I said, that he is a holy God and we and he is a good God, but we are sinners. And that's where the justice of God comes in. The justice of God is this element where we get what we deserve, or we're supposed to get what we deserve. That's what justice is. And in fact, that word justice is flailed around a lot today. No justice, no peace, right? You hear that, right? But what is really justice? If the divine God, who is perfectly good and righteous, who is separated from us, Is there a person in this room that meets that holy standard? Not one. You remember Jesus had said to a woman who was, a woman was being caught in adultery and these men had come around and they were ready to stone her. And he said, those who are without sin do what? Cast the first stone. The justice of God is giving a person what they deserve. But mercy is different. Man, mercy is giving you exactly what you don't deserve. It's actually less than you deserve. Grace is giving you exactly what you don't deserve. See, what God did is this. He did not overlook sin. He did not overlook justice. He had to pay for your sins, or he had to have somebody pay for your sins, and he did himself, his son. 
And then what he has done for you, if you trust in him, is this. That gap between him and you, he has come down to pursue you. He's come down to live for you. He has come down to die for you. He's come to rise for you. He has come to infuse you with his grace. And he says, I just want you to reflect me. It's the beauty of the gospel. There was a high cost. It was no longer an animal that was being sacrificed. Millions of animals have been sacrificed over the years from Genesis forward. It's no longer animal blood that was ever going to cure your problem. It had to be divine. It is only God who saves. So I want you to see this. The, the cost of peace was the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. Watch this line here. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Those three words. Our Lord Jesus. Let's start with Lord. Lord means God. He is the sovereign one. He is the ultimately offended one who's come here for you and for me. Lord. Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus is? You shall name his name Jesus because he will do what? He will save my people from his sins. God saves is what Jesus means. He is Lord, he is God, he is Jesus, he is the God who saves. But then there's that one word, three letters, our Lord saves. So that's the issue today. There are many of you that have sat in Easter services for year upon year upon year, and you've heard the message, and you're still a cynic. And you walk away. Check that off my list. I went to church. Please don't do that. I pray today is the day that you recognize that the ultimately offended God has come down to pursue you at a precious cost of his son. My son's back there. I can't ever imagine sacrificing my son or my daughters for anybody, to be honest with you. (laughs) but I can't imagine sacrificing my son or my daughters for somebody that has offended me, who spits in my face day after day, but that's exactly what God did for you. The cost of peace is high. Isaiah says that surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought you peace was upon him, and by his wounds you are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Is Jesus your Lord Jesus? So that's the whole diff- issue today. If you walk out of the service today, nice service, nice song, you know, the guy went a little long, but if you do not trust in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord and Savior, there is no hope. So the character of peace, the confirmation of peace, the cost of peace, the consequences of peace. Look here, he says this. He says that he has equipped you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you do, God wants to come into your life to reorient you, to change you. Change the way you think. Change your desires. Change your will. Change you so that you start to reflect him. You remember, he's separate. Now he's come near to you. The transcendent God has become imminent. He comes down to you. He came down to live in you. And he wants to reflect life through you. In Galatians, Paul said this, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to act according to his good purpose. He wants to reflect you through this world. So the consequences of peace are the fact that we should be equipped. Equipped is interesting. The word means to be fitted, made able, fashioned. That God is fashioning you. Kind of like he said in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God is fashioning people so that they are reflecting of him. You are pleasing because of the work of Christ. But now he wants you to reflect him to a world that is outside. He ends with confidence. He says this, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Now, commentators differ on the whom here. Is this about God the Father or Jesus Christ? I think it could be either. I believe it's Jesus Christ that he's talking here. That it is through Jesus whom be the glory forever and ever. That is why we could say glory, what? Hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Worship the lamb that was slain because he receives honor and glory and majesty. I want to end with this. In this passage, we see that there is a savior, one who died. We see that there's a shepherd And we see that there's a sacrifice. The the Savior is pretty clear. It's Jesus. And his sacrifice is pretty clear. He died on a cross. But I want you to think about the idea of a shepherd. Many of you know Psalm 23, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil because God is with me. My rod and my staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If Jesus is a shepherd, who are the sheep? You know, I teach a Psalms class. Hopefully we'll get started soon again. And when we got to Psalm 23, I did a uh, study of it. I had never known about cast sheep. I guess I should have, right? Cast sheep. Have you ever heard of cast sheep? Cast sheep are where sheep eat so much they kind of get gorged, right? And then they kind of roll over on their side and then their feet are hanging up in the air and they're rolling on their back. It's actually kind of funny to look at, you know? These sheep are on their back. They're... The problem is, though, they can't roll over. They are hopeless. They are helpless. They are hapless. That's what God says about you. You rolled over on your back, and you can't get up. And it's even worse for the sheep. The sheep, if they stay on their back long enough, they are going to do what? die. So when God talks about you and me, he says that you're sheep, hopeless, hapless, helpless, cast over on your back. And what the shepherd does is he comes and he finds a sheep. He turns them over. Sometimes if they've been on their back too long, there's no blood flow in their legs. He rubs their legs. Sometimes what he does is he holds them and carries them to safety. What a beautiful picture of what God has done for you. The character of peace. God is one. The confirmation of peace is an empty tomb. The cost of peace is a bloody savior and a bloody cross. The consequences of peace is that if you trust in him, he wants to reflect you. And the confidence of peace is this. I want you to be able to, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, walk out of here with an unswerving devotion to the empty tomb and the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. And since that hope is there, an absolutely certain hope, I want you to have such a fixed resolve that God is at work in you. 
I want you to have such a future certainty, looking forward to seeing him, that through all the uncertainty that we have in this world, stand firm in this. As Pastor Doug had used this passage earlier, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, that passage is right at the end of Paul's argument that the resurrection is hope. I pray today that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is hope for you. Finally, I'll end with this. There are some of you that are still not sure. I pray today that if you're not sure, come and talk to, talk to one of us. Pastor Doug's down here. Pastor Tim's in the back. Myself, come and talk to us. We would love to talk to you about what it means to be a person of Christ. For those of you that are confused, just not sure, come and talk to us as well. And for those of you that are committed and confident, go reflect him to this world. Would you pray with me? Father, it's so saddening and discouraging how many people are, are stuck in their pain. They're stuck in the pain of their past. They're stuck in the problems from their past. They're, they, maybe they're struggling with present struggles as well. And, and they just don't have hope. There's so many people that lack hope and, and need help today. Father, I praise you for the fact that you didn't just say, fix yourself. You said, I got a plan. I'm sending my son. I've got a plan. He's going to live and die for you. I've got a plan. He's going to rise from the dead. The only thing that we need to do is trust. If we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Praise you, Lord. For the many of us that do know you, help us trust in his glory and help us to reflect it into this world. In Jesus' name, amen.
different than a year ago. We give you glory for that, God. We ask, God, that you would help us to live in light of your resurrection, to know that that Jesus lives inside of us by the Spirit's power, and to go out from here and proclaim that truth to the nations, the people in our lives, Lord. We thank you this morning for worship. We thank you this morning for hearing your word. Now may you be glorified by everything we say and do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.